Hebrews chapter 13, verse 16. Now remember the context. These are the last words that the, the writer of Hebrews is leaving to these people as they are about to go through great tribulation. These are the Jews who have accepted Jesus as Messiah living in Judea around the city of Jerusalem. And he's speaking to them because the, the, uh, the persecution is, is beginning to really ramp up. So the last words that he's leaving to them are these. Think about this as if you're sending your child off to war. What are going to be the last things that you would leave with them? That's how he values these. And let, let's start reading it at, at verse 16 of Hebrews 13. And do not neglect doing good and sharing, for with such sacrifices God is pleased. Just above that in verse 15, he said, Through through Him then let us continually offer up a sacrifice of praise to God, that is, the fruit of lips that give thanks to His name. And do not neglect doing good and sharing, for with such sacrifices God is pleased. He reminds us, do not neglect to do good and to share. Because God is pleased with these sacrifices. God views these as sacrifices. If you start serving people and doing things for people, you will get worn out. And people can be really fickle. Sometimes you do things for them, they don't even thank you. Sometimes they they show no appreciation. Sometimes they actually will take advantage of you. And the only way that you can be sustained in doing good and in sharing is to be doing it for the Lord, for the sake of the Lord. It's not just for other human beings. You do it in the context of serving the Lord. And then it changes everything. You know, I go around the country and around the world speaking and, and, and I'll get invited and speak at some place. And sometimes I go places and very few people even show up. And so I've gone to all this effort and the, the local hosts haven't advertised it well and, and people don't show up or something. Then I have to remember, it is for the Lord that I'm doing this. It is for the Lord that I'm serving. I was traveling much of this past week and... Uh, uh, and I was traveling on the East Coast. I spoke at Syracuse University and I gave three lectures on Thursday, the third of them being a campus-wide lecture. And it took me much longer to get there than what I had planned on because of bad weather on the East Coast. So I was stuck in airports around the country and trying to get, get to Syracuse because there's no, there's no direct flights into Syracuse from Houston. There's like no direct flights into Syracuse from anywhere. Practically, <laughs> but um, so so you, you get you get stuck in places in the weather, and my comfort in all of this is, Lord, this is for you. This is a sacrifice for you, and it changes my whole perspective because I look at this as I'm doing this for Him who's given Himself for me. I'm doing this for Him, and the Bible says this is a sacrifice to God. We don't offer up sacrifices. Just above this, he had talked about the sacrifices that were given in the temple. We don't do that anymore. He says we give a sacrifice of praise and we give a sacrifice of service to others and sharing. When we share our faith, when we share our testimony, when we share things with others, this is a sacrifice of praise to God. View it in that way and it increases the richness of it all. Lord, this is for you. Then he goes on in verse 17, Obey your leaders and submit to them, for they keep watch over your souls as those who will give an account. Let them do this with joy and not with grief, for this would be unprofitable for you. 
So he says, obey your leaders and submit to them. So I just want, I want to put this in the right context. I didn't, you, you know, I just look at the verses as they come as we study a book. And when I saw this, I didn't go, yes, obey your leaders. Now I can really just, nothing. In fact, it's not like I'm looking for people to obey me. I have four children and my hands are full with those four children. And, and, uh, um, but it says, obey your leaders and submit to them. Each of us is to obey our leaders and submit to them. And he doesn't actually say just leaders in the church. Obey your leaders and submit to them for they keep watch over your souls as those who will give an account. So in other words, leaders are going to be held to account what they do with the people in their charge. Pastors will be held to account as to what they do with people in their charge. And it says, let them do this with joy. People come to me a lot of times for academic advice. And I'll be very clear. I mean, a young man came to me and he wanted to know about, you know, the different options for law school. What should he do? And, and right away I told him, look, I don't know that world. I'm not in the law school area, but I will tell you what I know because my, my daughter went through this in choosing law school. So I learned a little bit about it. But the first thing I tell him up front is I will give you some, some counsel based on what I know, but this is not of the Lord. This is just gym tour based on his experience. I want people to know the difference. There is counsel that I can give that's of the Lord, that's from the Scriptures. But as far as I know, the Scriptures do not address what law school people should go to. So I don't know what to say on that. I will give you some instruction. But the Bible has things to say specifically about many issues. It talks about, for example... What one should, should have in a spouse, in, in, in choosing a spouse. And it says, don't be yoked together with unbelievers. And the context of that is in marriage. So when people come to me and they say, what do you think of this person? My first question always is, are they a believer? Do they love Jesus? And if they say, well, sort of, then I know the answer is no. Alright? If you're not sure, the answer is no. And, and, uh, and then I, I give them counsel from the Word of God that, no, I, I, this is what the Scriptures say. It's easy for me to do this because it's right there in the Scriptures. And whether they obey or not, that's up to them. But I am obliged to show them what's in the Scriptures. And then there's other times when, yes, the person knows the Lord. And then, and then they say, well, would you talk to them? I say, sure, because I want to learn something about what that person's about. And so recently somebody brought, brought this young man to me and, and, and I shared with him for a little while and, and uh, I just asked him some questions. And, and a lot of times by asking questions, I'm just trying to see what people are like. And this guy started getting all antsy and, and he got upset, you know, like, who, who are you to be asking me these sorts of questions? Well, he didn't understand this was a test. I was testing him. So when I got done with him, and later on, I, I met with the girl and I said, oh, yeah, the guy is definitely a believer, but he's a hothead. I just want you to realize that you would be marrying a hothead, somebody who gets upset really easily. And that's hard to be married to somebody who gets upset easily. I've seen these sorts of things. It's hard to be married to a person like that. There's no exclusion. In other words, you're free to do this. The Bible doesn't say don't be married to people who are hotheads. But it says they have to be believers. But I just wanted to warn her 
what this person's going to be like. If I have, and, and sometimes I say, you, you know, I, it was only just a few minutes I had with the person. There's not much I can tell you. But if I know both parties, I can comment on both parties. And so the things that I look for, for, for when people say, what do you think of this person? I will think back, okay, well, does that person that you're interested in, do they serve? Do they serve in the church? Do they serve in the body of Christ? In other words, is their love for Jesus enough that I see them serving? Because if you see a person who actively serves, I think that they'd make a great spouse for somebody. And the reason for that is it's much easier to be married to a selfless person than a selfish person. And one who gives of themselves in service in the body of Christ and campus groups and always serving, much easier to be married to them and I'll tell them. And then I tell other people when they come to me and they say, I say, you know, if you want somebody to notice you, learn how to serve in the body of Christ. People will notice you. People will see you and say, wow, that make a great spouse. Who does? Happens all the time. I see it all the time. The young ladies in, in the church and the young men in the church who serve, other people observe them and they see that. And that's the qualities you want to see. You want to see them in service. One, Shireen used to uh, uh, do international student outreach, and I did international student outreach. So I knew long before I had any interest in her that here is a young lady who enjoys serving. She also would show up to the Friday night prayer meetings that, that they would have in the church that we were in. So here was a young lady who enjoyed coming to Friday night prayer meeting when other young people are, think Friday night is like their time to just express themselves. And no, she was at the Friday night prayer meetings. So I saw already in her qualities. Now, it doesn't say in the Bible that people have to be at Friday night prayer meetings in order to uh, uh, be suitable for marriage. But it does give us guidance. And that's, that's the difference. So when he says, obey your leaders and submit to them, what I'm saying is we obey and submit to the Word of God as it's taught to us. And so turn to James. Turn to the, the, the epistle of, of, of James. James uh, uh, chapter chapter 1, James chapter 1, and look at verse 23. L- look at verse 21. James chapter 1, verse 21. Here's instruction. It says, Therefore, putting aside all filthiness and all, all that remains of wickedness in humility, receive the word implanted, which is able to save your souls. But prove yourselves doers of the word and not merely hearers, who delude themselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man who looks at his natural face in a mirror. For once he has looked at himself and gone away, he, he, he has immediately forgotten what kind of person he was. But one who looks intently at the perfect law, the law of liberty, and abides by it, not having become a forgetful hearer, but an effectual doer, this man will be blessed in what he does. So he says, don't be just a hearer of the word, but be a doer. If you just hear the word of God, you delude yourselves if you don't do it. So what we are to take from our leaders is that when they are teaching us the word of God, we are to take hold of that word of God and do it. This whole idea of obeying, obey your leaders and submit to them. This sounds a little hard. What do you mean submit? Well, the Bible is full of different occurrences. In fact, in my own reading time, in my own devotionals right now, I'm reading in the book of Numbers. 
And then the book of Numbers, there's a bunch of people who were rebelling against Moses. And every time they rebelled against Moses, they usually died. Not just them, but their whole families died. It never went well for them to rebel against Moses. And Moses never pounded his fist on the table and said, I'm in charge here. You know, I once took a, a course on leadership and a leader, and it, and it says leaders never have to say, I'm in charge here. If someone has to say it, they're obviously not the leader because people already know it, who the leader is. And so Moses never says, hey, I'm in charge here. God just says, Moses, stand back. I'll take care of this. And then, you know, the ground opens and they perish. And, and, uh, and you say, well, that's Old Testament. It says in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, all those things that were written were written for our sake as instructions for us. Those people were destroyed by the destroyer and he is referencing in 1 Corinthians chapter 10 the things that happened with Moses. He says all those things happened as examples for us so that we don't get destroyed by the destroyer. In Numbers chapter 12, Moses' own sister and brother starts saying, oh, well, who does Moses think he is? You know, because Moses is the younger brother. He has an older brother, and then the oldest is, is Miriam, the sister. And she's like, God can speak through us too. And God says, okay, the three of you come forward. And probably, probably uh, 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 Miriam and Aaron were thinking, okay, now God's going to you know, notice us now as well. And then he says, Moses, stand back. And Miriam gets hit with leprosy. She's covered in leprosy. Just like that. Boom. And what do they do? I mean, Aaron says, Moses, please pray for her. You know? and, uh, and he prays for her. And God says, just let her endure her leprosy for a while. Send her outside the camp for five days. Let her endure her leprosy for a while. So, so God didn't even spare Moses' brother and sister when they started rebelling against him. There is something about leadership. And I've always taken this very seriously. Let's, let's look at what Jesus, let's look at the way Jesus views authority. Turn to Matthew chapter 8. Matthew chapter 8. And we'll, we'll see the way Jesus observes what, 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 uh, what Jesus thinks of authority. In Matthew chapter 8, let's start reading from verse 5. Matthew chapter 8 verse 5. When Jesus entered Capernaum, a centurion came to him, imploring him, saying, Lord, my servant is lying paralyzed at home, fearfully tormented. Jesus said to him, I will come and heal him. Now, this same account is referenced in Luke, in, in Luke chapter 7. And Luke gives us a little more detail. It wasn't even the centurion himself who came, but he sent the Jewish leaders. You say, well, this says the centurion came. Because in those days, if you sent someone to represent you, it was as if you were going yourself. So the Jewish leaders came. Now, why should the Jewish leaders be coming to support a man like this? So we'll, we'll, we'll go ahead and we'll look there in, in, uh, in Luke chapter 7, so we'll see the real context of this. In Luke chapter 7, reading from verse 1, it says, When he had completed his discourse and hearing of the people, he went to Capernaum. A centurion slave who was highly regarded by him was sick and about to die. And when he heard about Jesus, he sent some Jewish elders asking him to come and save the life of his slave. 
When they came to Jesus, they earnestly implored Him, saying, He is worthy for you to grant this to Him, for He loves our nation, and it was He who built us our synagogue. Now when Jesus started on His way with them, now Jesus started on His way with them, and we'll stop there. So this centurion has a slave who's sick, and he highly regards his slave. Now remember, one out of every three people in the Roman Empire was a slave. So slaves were truly a dime a dozen. But this centurion had a heart for this young, for this slave. And he was dying. And so he says, come and heal my slave. He's terribly sick. But he sends the Jewish leaders because he thinks access to Jesus, I'll send the Jewish leaders. The Jewish leaders come to him. Why should Jewish leaders care what this centurion's going through? Jews didn't really care much about Roman soldiers. Well, this one they cared about because what does it say? Is that he cared a lot about the Jewish nation. He, uh, 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 that's what they told Jesus. And he says, he's worthy for you to grant this, for he loves our nation. And it was he who built us our synagogue. So in other words, you have a, a, a Roman centurion, one over, over all of these troops. He was the one who underwrote the building of the synagogue for the Jewish people. So he loved the Jewish nation. So the leaders of Israel are coming and appealing to Jesus on his behalf. And he's saying he's worthy. Now, if you look at some other occasions when, when, when there were Gentiles appealing to Jesus, Jesus didn't right away respond so quickly. But here is a need of a Gentile and Jesus hears this and he immediately goes. Why would he do this? Well, I think it's because he remembered a promise that God the Father made to Abraham. Those who bless you, I will bless, and those who curse you, I will curse. This man had blessed the Jewish people. Jesus hears that the man's in need. He's a Gentile. He says, I'm going to his house right now. If that man has blessed the Jewish people, my father made a promise, those who bless you, I will bless. I'm on my way. So he's on his way to this man's house. It's, it says, now Jesus started on his way with them. And when he was not far from the house, the centurion sent friends saying to him, Lord, do not trouble yourself further, for I am not worthy for you to come under my roof. For this reason, I didn't even consider myself worthy to come. But just say the word and my servant will be healed. For I also am a man placed under authority with soldiers under me. And I say to this one, go, and he goes, and to another, come, and he comes. And to my slave, do this, and he does it. It's a very strange thing. So Jesus is on the way to the guy's house. The centurion hears Jesus on the way to your house. He's like, I didn't mean for him to have to come to my house. He could have just spoken the word back there. So he sends some friends to intercept Jesus. He says, don't trouble yourself. You don't have to come to my house. I trust you can just speak the word, and he's going to be fine. He says, I understand authority. I have people under me. I say to these soldiers, do it, and they do it. I say to my slaves, do it, and it's done. Very strange. Now look at what Jesus says about this. He says, it says in verse 9, Now when Jesus heard this, he marveled at him. And he turned and he said to the crowd that was following him, I say to you, not even in Israel have I found such great faith. When those who had been sent returned to the house, they found the slave in good health. Jesus marveled at this man's faith. Jesus never marveled ever at anyone else's faith. There was a Gentile woman that had come appealing to him and he said, your faith has made you well, but he didn't marvel at her faith. He says, in all Israel, 
meaning among all the Jews. Jesus, remember, lives forever. He's God. That means he dealt with Abraham. He dealt with Isaac. He dealt with Jacob. He dealt with Daniel. He says, in Israel, I have never seen anyone with such faith as this man, this Roman centurion. Jesus normally didn't marvel over people's faith. In fact, he used to get upset with the disciples' lack of faith. The scriptures tell us that. He would be, get upset at their lack of faith. But this man, he marveled at his faith. What was the expression of his faith? He says, I am a man who understands authority. You just speak the word and it's done. And Jesus equates submission to authority with faith. Jesus equates submission to authority with faith. If you understand authority, it is something of great faith. When I know that I am functioning under authority, it gives me great faith. So in other words, if my pastor were to tell me, if Pastor Roger would tell me, Jim, I don't want you teaching the Bible study there anymore on Sundays, I would step down immediately. Because I would feel as if I, if I did this, I'd be in just, there'd be no anointing, there'd be no blessing. I must function under authority. I've known Roger since he was a young youth pastor. And he used to, to, to call me and we would get together for lunch and I'd give him some counsel and things like that. He was just a young kid. And uh, um, now he's senior pastor. And so when he calls my office and Roger's calling or if he sends me an email, Jim, give me a call. I'd like to talk to you. I'm like, gulp? What have I done? Because he's pastor. I understand church authority. The Bible says, submit to your elders and obey them. Obey them and submit to them. He says, if you don't, in Hebrews, it's not going to go well for you. It's not going to go well for you. And that doesn't mean that they're always right. I have brought to Roger concerns in the past. I've brought it to him. And then he, once I've brought it to him and he shares with me and we talk a little bit about it, that I'm done. I brought my concern to him. What he does with that, that's up to him. I say, you're the pastor. The word is yours. The final word is yours. It has nothing to do with who knows more scriptures. It has nothing to do with age. It is position. It is position in the body of Christ. When you understand authority, I was with, I'm good friends with two famous pastors in the city, both from big churches. And, and, uh, um, and so they have this joke between the two of them and it's, it's, uh, uh, they, they call the congregation, uh, their congregation. So two separate churches and they say our congregation. Why do they say that? Because people go back and forth between the two churches so much. There's no accountability to any local fellowship. They just go back and forth so much. And so they joke between them. When you understand authority, like, I have to be here for you. You know, imagine if I just said, well, I just don't feel like going to church today. I'm just kind of tired. So you don't show up. You show up here, where's that guy? I don't know. What's the problem? All you just take off whenever you want. Why can't I? Because I understand authority. And I'm placed in authority, and I understand it. And you, you become integrated in such a point, to such a point that if you don't show up, you've got to make plans. You can't just not come. 
if you just not come, that means you're, you're not serving in any capacity that's useful. You should be so integrated into this that you have to make plans if you're not going to come. This is understanding authority. I'm not the one telling you this. This is what he tells us in, 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 in the book of Hebrews. So let's turn back to Hebrews, Hebrews chapter 13. In Hebrews chapter 13, he tells us, he tell, he, he, uh, in, in verse, uh, Verse 17, obey your leaders and submit to them, for they keep watch over your souls as those who will give an account. So in other words, leaders are accountable. I know that the, the pastors in this church are accountable for me. And when I stay under their authority, it's huge protection. And I counsel men all the time. And, and a typical complaint from men when their marriages are not going well is this. My wife never listens to me. My kids never listen to me. And my common response is, I don't blame them. You are not under your authority yourself. If you would come under the authority of the local body of Christ, of the church, you come under that umbrella of authority, there is great protection but you've stepped out from under that umbrella and then everybody under you is going to step out and rebel against you. That's the way it works. Whatever a man sows, that he shall also reap. And what's the principle of sowing and reaping? Sowing and reaping is this. You, you plant one little kernel of corn, which is like the size of my fingernail. And what happens? You get this stalk with thousands and thousands of kernels of corn. So you rebel a little bit, and you get a lot of rebelling against you because of sowing and reaping principle. When you come under authority, there is great blessing. Under the church, there is tremendous blessing. And so when I was an undergrad, your age, I never just you know went in and out of churches wherever I wanted to go. I just couldn't do it. I had to be under authority. I really looked to the pastor as the authority. It's not me telling you this. This is the Word of God. Obey your leaders and submit to them. How can we submit if we're in 12 different places and the person doesn't, they, they don't even know who we are? So in, in West University Baptist Church, I think it's too easy. You become a member just by walking up and saying, I want to be a member. And all they ask you is, have you been submersed in baptism. If the answer is no, they say, okay, fill this out, we'll get you baptized. If the answer is yes, you're good to go, you are now a member. In fact, for students, it's even easier. They have this watch care membership that students want, don't want to lose the membership in their local church back home. We have this watch care membership that you don't give that up. You're just saying that, you say, well, what's the difference whether I do this or I don't? Well, one of the differences is because the leadership here has decided that is a way of accountability. Boom. That should be enough. Enough said. But the other thing is that when you do that, they understand that you want to be under the authority and they start putting your name on a, on a list where they pray for you. You say, well, the church never visited me when I was sick. Well, they, they had no record of you. Well, I've been going there for six months, but yeah, they still had no record of you because they didn't get your name coming in the door that you wanted to be on the church rolls and you wanted that, that people looking over you. There is something about the acknowledgement of authority. This is the last words of the prophet who's writing this to these people as they are going into great persecution. 
He says, obey your leaders and submit to them for they keep watch over your souls as though they, as, as, as those who will give an account. I have to give an account to God as to what I present to you. And I pray that I never present to you something as the Word of God that is not the Word of God. Now, I may give you my opinion on things, but I want to distinguish that from what's written in the Word of God. Many times people come from, to me for an opinion on, you know, what do you think, should I take this course or this course? That's fine. That's coming from me. That's in my own mind. But if it's the Word of God, that's coming from the Word of God. That is something that we have to, to really take, take hold of. He says, let them do this with joy and not with grief. In other words, let me give an account, let the leadership give an account with joy and not with grief. There are some people in the church, and, and this is my own personal, what I say to myself about them, I call them black holes. Black holes because a black hole is, has so much gravity, it sucks in even the light. All right? that you can pour into a person's life for years and nothing good ever comes out. It's just black holes. It's all about me. I mean, everything is about me. What are you going to do for me? What are you going to do for me? And like, uh, I've been doing it for you for four years. When are you going to have some light come out of you? So I don't say, hey, you're a black hole, but just in my mind, I'm thinking this. And I don't like to go near them because they're going to suck me into something else. He says, let them do this with joy and not with grief. Why would he say not with grief? Because there are some people that deal with leadership so much that they're a grief to leadership. They're a grief. There was one young man for years, my wife and I just blessed him, he was a fine young man. And, and uh, his family didn't have much money and Shireen would always send him home from our home with big plates of food that would last him days. Just bless this young man. And then one day he just disappeared and stopped coming. And after about a month, I contacted him. I said, what's going on? You disappeared. He says, well, I don't feel as if I'm gone. I'm still apart. Oh, okay. Uh, and, and, uh, and are you going to come back? No, I'm going somewhere else. I said, okay, that's fine. But just tell me because we care about you. He says, well, I never felt as if I left. You know, how, how do I deal with that? You know, what do we do? We love this guy. What do we do? And so we're not trying to dominate him. It's not like, I need you to submit to me. Again, I have four children that I have trouble just keeping up with those four. It's not like I'm looking for more people to submit to. But I have to give an account. I have to give an account to people concerning people. And when they disappear, when they've been part of us, and they disappear, you know, Shereen and I are talking, and she'll say, what? What about that person? I don't know. I haven't seen them. I don't know what's going on. This We have to give an account. And he says, let them do this with joy and not with grief. For this would be unprofitable for you. Not unprofitable for leadership. He said, if they have grief in this, it's unprofitable for you. Remember that whole thing, Moses? Just Moses, stand back. God says, I'll take care of it. I mean, this is a serious thing. You read 1 Corinthians chapter 10 if you think this doesn't apply to us. It applies to us. This is why when I was an undergraduate, even, and when I was an undergraduate, when I was a graduate, I would always send 
a message, usually by phone. I would phone them because they didn't have that, they didn't have, uh, uh, email in those days. They certainly didn't have text messages. There were no mobile phones. And I would call them on a landline. It had a wire going into the wall. I know you've never seen one of those, but anyway, those used to exist. And I would call them and I, and I'd either leave them a message because by the time I was in graduate school, they started to, they just started to have message machines when I was in graduate. But you had, I had to get a message to somebody say, I'm not going to be there this Sunday. I'm going to be going and visiting my parents this weekend. I couldn't even just miss a week because I felt obliged to let them know because I cared. Because I cared about this sort of thing. It's not a bad thing that I'm telling you. He says, obey your leaders and submit to them because if they have to do this with grief, if you become a black hole, just remember that it's going to be unprofitable for you. That's what he's warning us about. Why of all things is he leaving this as the last message to these, young, to these people that he's dealing with? Obey your leaders and submit to them. Submit to the Word of God as it's preached to us. It has nothing to do with you know, serving me. Nothing to do with serving me. It's service to the Lord. Submission to the Word of God. That's the implication. And if we understand authority, Jesus equates that with faith. What is faith? It's understanding authority, Jesus says. Jesus marveled. He said, I have never seen such faith. A man that understands authority that I don't even need to go to his home, he understands what authority is. That to me, Jesus says, is faith. I've never seen such faith in all of Israel. What I'm trying to do is I'm trying to elevate your level of maturity. I want to see you mature in your understanding of faith, what the gospel, the teaching of the gospel really is. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for the truth of the word of God. And I pray, Lord, first of all, for those here who do not know you, who have not submitted to the scriptural teaching that we are to believe that Jesus Christ is Lord and confess that, that Jesus Christ is Lord and to believe in his resurrection from the dead in order to be saved. Father, bring the unbelievers into a place to know you, to submit to the living God, to say Jesus Christ is Lord and I believe he's risen from the dead. Father, save their souls, I pray. And Father, I pray for those here that know you, that they would understand authority. They would understand authority to the point where it would be as an expression of faith. Father, and that through that there would be this enormous covering over their families, this enormous protection, and that in that you would guide them in the right way. Father, elevate this in their lives, that they would mature and grow in faith and in the knowledge of Jesus Christ. Lord, I commit these young people to you. In the name of Jesus, amen.